Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, who is the president of the United States? Well, after January, we'll try to find out. What is the U.S. election's impact on Canada? Will it change things? The mayor of Elmer has received alleged threats in regard to an anti-mask demonstration coming up there this weekend. We'll get to the bottom of it. And a brand new Teenage Head documentary is out. We get the band's reaction. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott Sutton. I know you're probably tired of the U.S. election and the COVID-19 pandemic. But there's some good news. Hopefully, I got my cast off tomorrow. Baby steps. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. You know, if you're kids, you don't care about this crap. Just roll on with life. More important things to do. Uh, good afternoon. It is 1210. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. And you can uh, engage with us. We would love to hear from you. Facebook and Twitter as well. Don't forget the website. You can find the commentary there as well. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open. Uh, obviously, U.S. elections still waiting to see results. We'll talk about that coming up moments from now. Oh, in the midst of the election, did you see the Teenage Head special last night on TVO? We'll talk about that. Dave Rave's going to be joining us uh, coming up towards the end of the show. All right, uh, still waiting. Uh, those that watched the U.S. election results last night uh, went to bed disappointed, and it's not like we didn't hear or, or think that this was going to happen. And uh, now we're sitting at uh, roughly 237 uh, for Biden, 213 for uh, Trump, and still waiting for mail-in ballots to be counted. Here Here's what the president had to say early this morning. Millions and millions of people voted for us tonight. And uh, a very sad group of people is trying to disenfranchise that group of people. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop we will win this and we as far as i'm concerned we already have won it all right let's bring in aaron call director of debate at the university of michigan editor and co-author of debating the donald aaron thank you for the time i hope you're doing well yes great to be back with you so uh first of all your thoughts on what is happening where we are are you surprised not really um in some ways, so we, we knew before the election that states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, the blue wall states were going to take some time to count their votes because so many people, more people voted general, more people voted because of the pandemic early. And those states have laws that you can't count early votes, even if they were received weeks ago until the day of the election. And so that there would just be you know, several days um, that it would take. And so you know, the, what, how, how those three states looked last night, uh, or even early in the morning were much different than they look today and will look differently at once those counts are done, especially Pennsylvania, which, uh, Joe Biden still has a chance of winning. So those things didn't surprise me. I guess, uh, the things that did were that Joe Biden was not, was not really competitive in, uh, kind of some of the Sunbelt states. It doesn't look positive in places like Florida and Texas and North Carolina. Um, Georgia is, 
still have some some uh, bells to be counted, but uh, those kind of the knockout punches that could have landed, those did not happen. Uh, the Senate looks like it's going to stay in Republican control uh, before the election. I think people thought that it was likely the Democrats were going to at least get a slim majority. And then in the House, that was unexpected. Uh, the Democrats are going to retain control of the House, but likely going to lose maybe between five and ten seats. And before the election, people were talking about maybe some gains there. So um, an overall split verdict, especially if it's you know, likely that, that Joe Biden is president, but uh, there will be a, a weakened Democratic majority in the House and probably still a Republican majority in the Senate, although there may be some uh, runoffs in Georgia in January. And so we may not even know the answer to that for a few more months. Uh, we're, we're hearing from uh, the head of your elections in Michigan that we could be Friday before we hear final results from Michigan. Any idea uh, when this will all come to an end? And, and your thoughts on the, the president using the words fraud when referring to the election? Mm-hmm. Yeah, initially, before the election, our Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, had said maybe Friday, and then there was some talk yesterday. We may be able to get it done earlier than that, meeting uh, today or tomorrow. Most of the counts in, about 95% in Michigan, and right now Joe Biden has somewhere between the 30 and 35,000 of a lead, which for Michigan, uh, stake is considered large. Uh, Donald Trump only won Michigan by less than 11,000 votes. And so that's a significant lead. Most of the outstanding votes are from uh, Biden uh, districts and are early votes and absentee votes in places where Democrats are likely to do well. And so his margins are likely only to get increase, which would be well outside. Uh, the margin needed for a recount. Uh, there is a competitive Senate race in Michigan. That's a little bit closer. Uh, and so uh, that is, is still left to be decided, and hopefully by um, by today or tomorrow, um, once they can get 100 to 100% of the counting. Um, as far as President Trump last night, it was unfortunate. You know, he, he came on television about 2 or 3 a.m., and it stopped because he had a room full of hundreds of supporters who had either donated money directly or, you know, worked on a campaign, and so... You don't want to disappoint your supporters, but at the same time, he was saying things that, you know, kind of just uh, not true and known uh, that way, that um, it looked like he was, you know, he had the lead at that time, but he knew how many hundreds of thousands, even millions of outstanding votes were left to to count in places like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, even Georgia. And so, uh, but it's, it's not all that surprising. Um, President Trump has kind of telegraphed that before, you know, he he likes polls and new things that are positive to him, but, you know, doesn't really like embracing things that, you know, may be truthful and not uh, fit his political narrative. Um, you know, he definitely wanted to throw some red meat to the to his base of supporters at that time, but you know, it was, it was some, certainly irresponsible to, you know, talk about things, fraud or illegitimate ballots and things. These are all uh, votes that were received uh, by, you know, ATM on Election Day. And in the midst of a pandemic, you know, the certainly it's understandable why some people may want to vote early as opposed to going in person. And so this was something that um, we thought was going to happen for, for many weeks and months. And so you said kind of the shock. you said that Biden wasn't competitive. How come? I mean, because, you know, only a week out or so, the polls were still saying that, that Biden was, you know, uh, way out in front or certainly had a strong lead. Uh, how could the polls be so wrong? What was why was he not more competitive? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, there is a scenario where if Biden does win Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, he could still have an outside chance in places like Georgia, even North Carolina. If he ends up with many or most of those states, you know, he could be 290, close to 300 electoral votes, which is what President Trump got in 2016. And so 
you know, that narrative could change things. But yes, definitely disappointing in some states, uh, nationally and, uh, you know, in, in the House and the Senate. And, and yeah, so pollsters in the United States have egg on their face for sure. Um, they, there was errors in 2016 and they, they thought they were corrected. They tried to weight them better for education, try to capture the, the shy Trump voter that may be out there. But I think it's clear that it's just President Trump is unique and his base of supporters are unique. Maybe they only vote for him. Maybe they don't have, you know, or don't, aren't going to answer the phone from polling companies or aren't going to tell the truth to people because either they're embarrassed or they don't want others to know. And so it's just uh, not really possible to accurately poll for President Trump. I mean, Joe Biden was supposed to win the popular vote by you know, something between 8 and 10 points. He's still going to win by several million uh, votes, but it's probably going to be closer to, you know, the single digits in terms of that national popular vote. Uh, but yes, uh, Joe Biden was supposed to be more competitive in places like Florida and Texas and Ohio um, and Iowa and other places where he wasn't because um, he underperformed with uh, Latino votes, especially Cuban vote in Florida. Um, and for all the increased activism and, and voters, the Democrats that got out that maybe didn't vote in 2016, President Trump was successful at expanding the size of his base and even registering new voters in rural areas that didn't vote in 2016, support Trump, attended his rallies until uh, the last day. And he's uh, just has a very um, dedicated base. And his job approval, even though it's historically low, still ended up being somewhere in the 40s and never got uh, much below that, despite all the things that have happened in this country. So the polls look like a repeat of 2016 in the sense that, uh, again, off. Uh, what about uh, uh, liberal media bias here? What can we say about that? I mean, at one point, uh, and I said this yesterday, I thought this was going to be about personality, not policy. Clearly, that was not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely um, some merit uh, to that. And, you know, just think about the amount of money that was spent on some races, hundreds of millions of dollars in places like Kentucky and South Carolina, the Senate, that, and those races weren't close, you know, 10 to 20 points. And a lot of, you know, pollsters that are more considered either mainstream or, you know, less the media, places like Quinnipiac, um, were just way off. I mean, if one had Wisconsin by 17 points, and it's probably going to be one point. And so there's definitely going to be a reckoning in that. There were some, some more conservative Republican pollsters um, that, that had the race closer and, and more to what uh, it ended up being. Uh, but, yes, I mean, we're, but, you know, we're a divided country. It's, it's basically a 50-50 country, and people um, do consume media in different ways. You have people that just get their media from MSNBC or CNN, others that watch Fox, and they – or have, you know, we're hearing a different narrative, different story. They view things differently. Um, you know, one of the things was even people, you know, really concerned about coronavirus. They support a lockdown. They support wearing a mask. They believe that President Trump supported those things because he was their candidate. And so sometimes people are you know, willing to overlook things um, because they have a vested interest and because they are just drawn to someone um, politically, and uh, and yeah, so that all happened. I mean, President Trump is very unique. There's certainly a chance he ends up losing, and you know could come back in uh, 2024 and run again. He still have the availability of one term, um, and he's proved to be a very formidable opponent that has a very strong base, and that certainly the media and pollsters have not been able to accurately sense engage the the, the broad strength of his support. Aaron Collisman with us, director of debate at the University of Michigan and editor, co-author of Debating the Donald. Aaron, thank you for the time. Be well. Good luck. 
It's working too. Let's bring in Dana Milbank, political columnist with the Washington Post, and is with us now. Dana, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am. I hope you're well as, as well. Your thoughts on where America is, and I guess the world, uh, this morning, this afternoon. Well, you know, from my perspective, it uh, the outcome is not uh, really what I wanted. I was uh, uh, hoping, and a lot of us uh, opponents of Trump were hoping to see a a massive repudiation, uh, but I think it is the result that uh, we needed. Uh, the, the signs coming together uh, point increasingly clearly to uh, a Biden victory in the Electoral College. Uh, it appears that Biden uh, uh, will win the uh, popular vote by double the margin Hillary Clinton uh, won it by. We're looking at uh, five or six uh, points, which I don't know, translates to probably 10 million votes or so. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, as your previous guest was saying, it is a, a very much a uh, divided country. It seems likelier than not that uh, Republicans will keep control of the Senate, which will make for a lot of gridlock. Um, but, you know, f- for what we've lived through over the last four years, a, a bit of gridlock is perhaps not the worst thing. Are you surprised that Biden wasn't more competitive than what he was? Well, not really. I mean, there were a couple of negative surprises uh, for uh, Biden, particularly in South Florida. Uh, People had hoped he'd do uh, very well uh, in Texas. But, uh, you know, through the excuse me, through the industrial Midwest, he's doing quite well. He uh, flipped Arizona uh, from the Trump column. He has flipped uh, uh, electoral votes in Maine and in uh, Nebraska. Uh, Georgia is surprisingly competitive. I think that was, a, you know, at best a reach uh, for Biden. Uh, you know, North Carolina is still out there, so he could pick up things there. But uh, I mean, in terms of the actual electoral victory, uh, it, it, you know, it's looking good in Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Nevada. So that 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 would be, assuming it continues on this path, more than enough to give him the presidency. So this late vote count would or, or does benefit Biden. Is that accurate? Uh, well, sh- yeah, I think in most cases, if they're looking at the uh, mailed in absentee ballots, you know, it looks like roughly uh, Biden nationwide uh, won those ballots, 60 uh, percent of them. Uh, and uh, Election Day, it looks like. Trump won uh, roughly sixty uh, percent of it. It may, it may, those may un- actually understate the swing. Um, so, to the extent these are coming in, these are the absentee ballots we're counting, which appears to be most of them, or uh, regular ballots from uh, urban districts, uh, which seems to be the case in Nevada, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan. Those are going to favor uh, Biden as well. So it, you know, I, I don't want to say it's a it's a done deal. We're we're not anywhere near that, but uh, uh, you would certainly want to be in uh, Biden have Biden's hand right now. If that is the case, and it moves through the end of the week, and and, and that's eventually the result, uh, what do you expect from Americans? What do you expect from the president? Obviously, uh, claiming fraud last night and 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 you know promising a court challenge and such. What do you think happens in the next uh, couple of weeks, providing it does transpire the way you've thought? Uh, you know, I mean, I've been pleased so far that we really didn't see uh, much in the way of violence yesterday. A lot of people 
we're worried about that. We do see uh, the president being uh, reckless and, and dangerous in the way he's talking of, you know, claiming victory before there's a victory and uh, uh, talking about the other side trying to steal it when, you know, everything's being done perfectly according to uh, the rules. So that is dangerous, um, but we're not seeing signs that that's going to translate into violence. Uh, uh, just yet. Uh, it seems remote that the courts would step in to stop legitimate uh, ballots from being counted. They they may, uh, friendly courts may give uh, Trump some help at the margins with certain ballots, but uh, I mean, nobody's going to stop uh, the absentee ballots from being counted. Uh, we look back to tw- uh, 2016 and what happened then with the polling and such. It seems a repeat, more or less, with the polling this time out. How did the polls get it so wrong again? Yeah, I just, I don't, I actually don't see that. I mean, you know, I, I think we looked at a final margin for Biden uh, nationwide of uh, uh, eight percentage points, and you know, it looks like he's going to get six percentage points. So. Uh, that's pretty much dead on. As I mentioned, there was something very wrong with the polling in uh, South Florida uh, and in uh, Texas. You know, that may be related to either the uh, Latino turnout or uh, the margins. They may have been more pro-Trump than uh, than people had uh, anticipated. So but that was a fairly isolated mistake. I think if you're looking uh, at the rest of the uh, battleground states, there's not a whole lot of huge surprises. They're sort of in the range of uh, of what we were uh, expecting. So, you know, it was always a question of, you know, there was no doubt that uh, Biden would win the popular vote, and, the, and that is happening. Indeed, I think he's uh, j- about now securing more uh, votes than any presidential candidate uh, in American history. Um, but... Uh, uh, you know, of course, our system is about the the quirks of the electoral college. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's uh, consistent with what we've seen from the polling. I think a lot of people were hopeful, including me, that there'd be more of a blowout, that there'd be a surprise on the upside. And that we clearly didn't get. Dana Milbank has been with us, political columnist with The Washington Post. Dana, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. All right. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The United States and the rest of the world in limbo right now as the story that just keeps giving uh, won't go away. Uh, what is the latest? Bringing us up to date, Reggie Giacchini is with us, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. He's here now. Reggie, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, where are we now? We are waiting for several states to finally give their final tallies of the results uh, from last night's vote that will give a better picture as to who has the ultimate path towards victory. And all eyes are sitting on Arizona right now, waiting to see uh, if Joe Biden ultimately takes that. It's leaning in his way. Most of the polls are in. We're not sure why it's not being called yet. Uh, And we're waiting to find out what happens in Wisconsin in Michigan. Uh, Donald, uh, rather, Joe Biden is, is clearing uh, a hurdle that has him more than 30,000 votes ahead of Donald Trump right now. That is larger than the margin that Trump won Michigan over Hillary Clinton four years ago. With so many mail-in ballots still to be counted, Michigan could fall under Joe Biden. Wisconsin's election officials are just giving an update uh, right now saying that nothing nefarious happened on Election Day. Everything went according to schedule. Uh, and we're hearing that Wisconsin could also be called for Joe Biden by the end of the day. So it's, an, it's, a, it's a winding path for both of these candidates. It's more winding for Donald Trump right now. 
Will the Michigan uh, situation be the last uh, chapter in this? Uh, we're hearing it could be as late as Friday before they make a determination. So Michigan is 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 hoping to have the rest of their votes uh, put into an official tally by the end of today. It's unclear whether that's going to happen or not, uh, but that is the ultimate goal here. Pennsylvania is one that everybody is still watching because if Donald Trump is able to kind of squeak out a win in Michigan, possibly in Nevada, which isn't going to put their results out until tomorrow morning, uh, Pennsylvania becomes the prize that both candidates are going to need. They have three days. They have until Friday to be able to tally all the votes that are coming in by mail That was upheld by the Supreme Court. President Trump uh, has been all over Twitter this morning. He held that early morning kind of uh, uh, preliminary victory speech saying that he's going to contest these results, possibly send them to the court. Uh, And he's asking for these states like Michigan and Pennsylvania to stop counting their votes, saying that it's unfair. Well, at the same time, Scott, he's saying in Nevada and Arizona, keep counting because I'm behind. So uh, how concerned is uh, are they down there in regard to these court challenges? Is this just uh, denying the inevitable if the, if it does go in if it does go that far and and is everyone confident the system will work this out? Well, I mean, look, it, it could be simply political bluster for the president to say that he's going to go to the Supreme Court to stop these counts from happening, you know, trying to harken back to 20 years ago, it's worth remembering the only way to get to the Supreme Court, that even if you have put a number of justices on the bench, the only way to get there is to go through the lower courts. And there's no guarantee that the lower court is going to side with the president to stop these votes from being tallied, because at the end of the day, individual states make up their own rules for how long they take and uh, to, to tally up their votes and when they can start releasing their early results. Uh, and And Courts are are rarely going to fight back against what the law is of a state if it's been upheld, uh, you know, for for years and years and years. So the president could be uh, facing a losing challenge here if he decides to go after these solely for political reasons, no other reason. So were the polls wrong here, Reggie, as in 2016, or did the president just close the gap in the final days? Well, I mean, look, the, the polls showed that, that Joe Biden had a commanding lead when it came to the popular vote. And in something like Pennsylvania right now, where Donald Trump is holding the lead, uh, more than a million ballots still need to be called in. Uh, and they are likely to lean Democratic. This could give a, a, a significant boost to Joe Biden and would put him in the lead with the popular vote, like the polls were saying. The battleground states were always within a margin of error. And we we frequently said Joe Biden is leading in Wisconsin, leading in Michigan, leading in Pennsylvania within the margin of error. If he wins these by sneakers and he doesn't have a massive uh, kind of uh, majority of the vote here, it's going to be within the margin. And the polls are going to be much more close uh, from what they were in 2016. Were they bang on? No. But were they closer? Yes. Does the late ballot count that we're seeing favor one candidate more than the other? It does, and it it favors Joe Biden for a number of reasons. President Trump pushed back on mail-in ballots, uh, and that led to Democrats to get out the vote early by putting their ballot in the mail. Uh, We're also in the middle of a pandemic, and Democrats were more likely to not want to risk their safety by going to a polling station on Election Day, so they cast their votes early. The majority of these votes that we are waiting for uh, from the, from from these provisional ballots that were mailed in in Pennsylvania, more than a million of them, the significant uh, majority, according to the aggregate data, shows they lean towards the Democrats. In Wayne County, uh, uh, um, uh, Michigan, where Detroit is, the majority of provisional ballots are expected to go towards Joe Biden. There's a pattern here, uh, and it does benefit Joe Biden, which is why you're seeing the president push back and call these, quote unquote, bound ballots, despite the fact that they were cast many weeks ago.
Uh, many said, including myself, that this would be more about personality than policy. Does this say that wasn't the case? Uh, it depends on what side you're looking at. If you are a Democrat right now and you see that this 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 win, this potential win for Joe Biden isn't as wide as it was expected to be. If you are a Democrat saying we did not do any of the uh, winning that we wanted to do in the House or the Senate last night, does it speak to personality or does it speak to flawed campaigning and does it speak to flawed policy? Uh, when Democrats were rallying about court packing against uh, fracking against a number of of, of issues that they thought were going to be front and center, are they realizing now that the country is not as progressive as they uh, once thought it might be? And did they lose ground because of that? There's a lot of unanswered questions right now, and we're going to see what happens as this political landscape continues to shift now between now and the next set of midterms. Considering Biden was not more competitive, is this a failure for the Democrats? Biden was competitive in in a sense that he pushed back on the president's handling of COVID-19, which made him competitive in one of the most uh, one of the key issues of this campaign, which was the president's handling of coronavirus. Some people looked at this as a referendum. Uh, and I think you'll find Democrats say that Joe Biden's uh, response to this crisis uh, put him ahead of Donald Trump. I just it's hard to tell whether or not, again, we're in a situation that it was in 2016. Was this the best candidate that, the, that Democrats could have put forward uh, to go up against Donald Trump? Because there were some Democrats, especially in the House, that were running this campaign in 2020 like it was 2016 all over again, not understanding that Donald Trump, uh, he, he changed the fundamental layout of politics across the United States. And people are still trying to navigate through that. But they were doing it as if it was four years ago when Donald Trump thinking it was an anomaly, not thinking maybe this is how the country is moving forward. Uh, last question here, Reggie. We saw much or uh, many U.S. cities board up uh, as if a hurricane was coming prior to the election. Have those come down or are we still waiting what, you know, for the other shoe to drop? I think that this is going to uh, you're going to see these boards stay up for the next couple of days. There are still uh, kind of anti-Trump groups that are prepared to protest if the president does something to come out and possibly try to reclaim victory if it is not handed to him. Uh, much like we heard the, the words of the president last night, it angered uh, some people around this country. So there is still a sense of being on edge, fearful of what's going to happen. Uh, the boards were up coast to coast because there has been a sense of fear and because the president kind of stoked some of these kind of uh, emotional exhaustions that we've been experiencing in this country for four years by telling his crews to go out uh, and, and kind of monitor the polling stations and by using kind of inflammatory language uh, that possibly could have led to uh, uh, kind of a destructive situation. It didn't materialize last night. Law enforcement is thankful for that, but they're also still on edge knowing that it could happen. Uh, because it is a close race, just as divisive down there, or are we seeing any signs of people uniting after this? Well, look, Joe Biden is asking for people to unite, asking for people to be patient. Donald Trump is pushing back, saying that this election is rigged and this election is rife with fraud. Given the fact that this is not a blowout for Joe Biden, it is not a blowout for Donald Trump. You have a country that is nearly 50-50 uh, fully divided politically. The divisiveness still exists. And, you know, I don't see this going away anytime over the next couple of months. Well, before we get to inauguration, and it's difficult to see that going forward, especially with how competitive some of these House races were, where Republicans made inroads and they whittled down the majority uh, that the Democrats held in the House. This is a politically divided nation. Uh, and if you have a Republican Senate a Democratic House, and potentially a Democratic president, those divisions are going to continue to be seen. 
Reggie Giacchini with us, Washington producer, correspondent with Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on all of this. Reggie, as always, thanks for the time. Good luck. Be well. Thank you. Uh, let's bring in Henry Jasek, professor of political science, McMaster University, and get his thoughts on all of this and what it means for Canada, or is it still too early to tell? Henry, I uh, hope you're doing well. Thanks for the time. Oh, I'm doing great today. Surprised at where we are right now? Well, I'll tell you, going into this, and I was an addict on all pieces of information in the election over the past month, I thought uh, that there was a a 50% chance that Biden would get uh, a good victory, which I defined as 300 electoral votes or more. I said 40% that he'd get a modest victory, which is uh, 270 to 299, and I gave Trump 10, 10% of squeaking in. So I guess I'm 40% correct today. So um, the fact that we have to wait till possibly Friday, they are saying that's at the latest to to get the results. Uh, are you expecting court challenges and, and more uh, and more shenanigans to follow? Well, there's going to be court challenges, I think, particularly by the Republicans. Uh, the problem they face, even though they you know, there is now a, a conservative majority on the court, uh, the the problem they face is that the fe- the court even even the conservative judges are are very loath to overturn uh, state mm-hmm. rules on the elections because the, conti- the the constitution gives clear authority to the states to determine how they run a federal election on their territory and if they're if those states are supported by their state courts. They are really fearful of of of, of interfering there. So uh, so generally, with the pattern we've seen is that if a, a federal ju- lower court judge uh, goes against the uh, state uh, practices, uh, and uh, they're like they they can overturn it, and they have done that. But if they're if it's a st- if the state courts say, listen, the state's been operating this way for a while. The, the state legislature and the governor have a right to do what they want to do on this. The the Supreme Court just stands back. Uh, they they don't want to be accused of of denying something that you know that a state wants in such an overwhelming way. You know between the legislature, the governor, and and the voters in the state. They don't they they don't want to touch that. So uh, did did the did the polling get this wrong again? Uh, can we scream liberal media bias? I mean, how did we? How did people get this wrong? Well, I think, you know, like your last speaker, I don't think, you know, it is not, it's not the main message that was coming out over the last month or so. But there was, when you looked at the, the nuances and how the pollsters talked about their language and other people who studied, you know, Twitter accounts and studied Facebook tweets, there were all sorts of people out there. They were uneasy about this notion that this was going to be a, an overwhelming Biden victory. And there was a lot of, you know, scenarios that they ran that said, well, I think Biden's going to be is going to make it, but it's going to be more of a squeaker than a lot of people think. So what we what we look at the votes probably is that about four, you know, there was the percentage of the Democratic vote uh, probably is, is is down about 4%. And in uh, 2016, it was down about 2%. Now it's down about 4% across the board. And I think I think that's due to two things. First of all, the Democrats put a lot of emphasis in getting the, their voters out early, and they did a great job. And that's what's, that's what's being counted right now in Pennsylvania and some other places. 
those, those early voters who voted by paper. The, the Republicans made the strategy, we're going to get our voters out on Election Day. And they were pretty much blessed with good weather across the United States and a really great organization uh, to get their vote out, just as it was in 2016. And the Democrats could not match the organization on the ground. You could see places like southern Florida, the, the Democrats couldn't get their vote out. Uh, down there in in the Miami area, if they if they had an organization as good as the Republicans, they would they probably would have won Florida. They're not going to win Florida now. And this goes back to the Obama years. And and after uh, 2016, Barack Obama himself said, "I made a mistake when I was president. I neglected the organization of the Democratic Party. He let the party atrophy the, at the basic level, at the county level." Uh, he just let it. He let the party just atrophy. So when we hit 2016, in many parts of the country, you know, it, the Democratic Party was a party on paper, but not an organization. And they still, still haven't been able to get that back. And so I think that's a, a good, you know, a good, a, what what really happened here it was on was on the ground that the, the Democrats had to, were, were struggling. Does this say, what does this say about the Democratic Party? Clearly, they're not resonating the way that they need to. Uh, this was their election to lose, was it not? Well, it, it was, and I don't think, yeah. But I think the the thing is, a Republican a Republican voter generally is more enthusiastic about voting than a, the your average Democratic voter. That's so the average Democratic voter is probably someone says, "Oh, I'm a Democrat." I would like to vote, and I'd like to have my people in, but, you know, I don't really care all that much. And besides, I may have something more interesting to do on Election Day or before the election, where a Republican voter is likely to say, I really want to vote. I'm really intense. And so there is a difference between there's, there's fewer Republican voters, but they're more intense. And here, intensity counts uh, in getting people out to vote, and that's the type of thing that you're you're seeing, I mean, certainly the type of things that you're seeing in certainly in, in the rural, especially in the rural areas in uh, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, and in uh, and and in uh, sorry, in, in Michigan. So, but but you know, but there is enough of people who I think uh, who who did want what did want Biden to win. They voted early. Their votes are being counted now in those battles, you know, in those uh, uh, closely battled states and. Uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, we'll probably have a squeaker for Biden. But it's uh, but I, but a lot of it has to do with, you know, the different strategies of the party. And in terms the the Republicans like, I mean, just another thing, why they're so intense. They they love what Biden said. Uh, sorry, what uh, Trump has to say. They're they're relatively light, you know, careful about who they say it around because they know people are, you know, especially educated people in their view are going to look down on them. So they're not likely to say, oh, I, I agree with Trump, uh, you know, when he starts bashing the cities and bashing these, you know, the uh, the Muslim members of Congress or, you know, they, they know that people are really going to go after him and attack him. And they're going to, so they sort of keep their heads half down, but they come out and vote for Trump. Henry Jasek with us. Uh, Henry Jasek has been with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Henry, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Okay, very good. Enjoying your show, Scott. Thanking you. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've certainly heard of uh, COVID fatigue and how some are uh, rejecting uh, the the, uh, the protocol and, and specifically wearing of masks. Now, the mayor of Elmer, Ontario, has received threats since announcing that the small town uh, was going to uh, be under a state of an emergency. The state of emergency was put in place ahead of the rallies coming up this weekend. Uh, to talk more about all of this, Zvonko Horvat is with us, uh, Chief of Police, Elmer, Ontario, and is with us now. Zvonko, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yes, I am. Good afternoon, sir. So what can you tell us about these threats, uh, first of all, for uh, that were directed towards the mayor? Yeah, so we uh, we had one of our officers touch base with the mayor and uh, reviewed the, the information that we received. And uh, from the criminal perspective, uh, there was no evidence uh, to suggest that uh, she was uh, threatened or that we could pursue any charges against the persons uh, responsible for uh, the messaging. And let's get to the heart of all of this. Uh, what are you preparing for uh, and talk about this demonstration that's coming this weekend? Yeah, certainly. Our uh, our position for the uh, uh, planned protest on Saturday, uh, obviously, is to uh, maintain peace uh, and uh, ensure that uh, there's uh, public order kept. Uh, and uh, certainly that, that is our goal, and uh, uh, that is what we're going to do on Saturday. So what can you tell us about the state of emergency that that is put in uh, put in place and why that is needed? Uh, state of emergency put it was put in place uh, in consultation uh, with a mayor and the uh, local fire chief who's responsible for uh, emergency operations and planning. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, I mean, we had some consultation, but uh, ultimately it's the mayor's responsibility to declare an emergency. Uh, and uh, to my understanding, her primary concern was uh, the maintenance of peace in the community and also the uh, uh, the very likely possibility of the spread of uh, COVID uh, due to the uh, type of participation uh, from the uh, protest group uh, on Saturday and uh, their beliefs and uh, certainly the fact that uh, they do not uh, uh, abide by the uh, current regulations. So what happens when you declare a state of emergency? What does that mean as far as how you police differently? Uh, our police response is no different. Uh, it certainly gives us uh, more opportunity to access uh, provincial resources. Now, in this particular case, uh, we are working with the Ontario Provincial Police, Elgin County, uh, simply because a portion of the uh, planned route for the uh, protesters is uh, within the jurisdiction of uh, Elgin County OPP. So we are working together on, uh, on this particular uh, protest. So what are you expecting during this day? Well, uh, from previous experience, we are not anticipating any uh, violent clashes between uh, counter-protesters and the, uh, those uh, in attendance. Uh, certainly on the 24th of October, when they had a previous event, uh, it was peaceful uh, with very minimal uh, uh, interaction from the general public. And uh, based on the information and intelligence that uh, we received so far, we're not anticipating any um, any type of uh, situation that would require uh, um, police response to a, uh, a violent confrontation. Now, with the uh, state of emergency declared, does that allow you to break up such events? Well, I mean, you do not need a state of emergency to, to break up a certain event. Obviously, our communication to the protest organizer is that if there is a real possibility of a, uh, a threat to anyone participating, then uh, uh, we would communicate that to that uh, organizer and uh, uh, have the crowd dispersed. 
and uh, certainly that is something that we're working with her on and uh, ensuring, obviously, she has some responsibility in terms of ensuring the safety of uh, those that are participating on her behalf uh, and our responsibility to maintain that peace. What about if they're not wearing masks and there's no social distancing, uh, obvious? Uh, again, that's something that we're going to review. Obviously, we're, uh, we're going to gather all the evidence uh, with those that are participating, and uh, we are going to review. And uh, if there are breaches of the current uh, legislation that is in place, uh, specifically uh, more than 25 uh, in an assembly, uh, we are going to be uh, looking at potential charges. And getting back to a state of emergency, how would that change this demonstration or protest? It does not change it at all. Uh, I mean, the state of emergency really, uh, uh, I mean, you can have a, a demonstration or a protest uh, regardless of uh, emergency orders uh, or a, a declaration of state of emergency. Uh, our response, again, is uh, simply to maintain the peace and uh, ensure everybody's safety. So what does it actually mean, then, to be in a state of emergency? Sorry if I'm being redundant here, but I'm having a hard time well, figuring it out. Well, uh, you know, from my, my understanding, and uh, the, the, the mayor's uh, declaration of state of emergency is uh, twofold. Number one, it is to access uh, resources that uh, perhaps uh, we would not have, uh, and that would be uh, in contact with the uh, uh, provincial authorities. Right. And uh, certainly from, from the other perspective, it's the liability aspect of it for people that are participating in these uh, demonstrations uh, from the COVID response and the uh, breaching of uh, the current emergency orders. So um, any have you talked to uh, organizers on both sides? What do the organizers of uh, this demonstration, how are they addressing this? So just to make it clear, we do not have any organized uh, counter-protests uh, that are planned for this particular event on Saturday. Uh, in terms of the uh, the actual organizers of the uh, anti-masking uh, demonstration, uh, we have been communicating uh, with her uh, since her uh, uh, issuance of the uh, desire to do so. Uh, trying to discourage her from uh, engaging in that activity. And certainly if uh, they are going to engage, which they do have the right uh, under the Constitution for a peaceful assembly, uh, that that number is kept to the current uh, regulations under the emergency orders, which is 25 for outdoor events. So what can you, getting back to the threat or the alleged threat that uh, the mayor received, uh, uh, how did that originate? What can you tell us about that? Um, all I can tell you is that uh, obviously Mayor uh, had some concerns about uh, uh, you know some of the correspondence that she has received. I believe it was by uh, by way of a telephone call. I had an officer engage with her, uh, and based on the evidence uh, uh, that was presented to us, uh, th- there was no threat to uh, to harm to her, and therefore we did not uh, obviously pursue any charges or uh, go any further with it. So uh, not the first uh, anti-mask demonstration uh, for this area. Is that accurate? And, and what anything happened in the last? Uh, that's correct. The last one we had was on the 24th of October. Uh, again, it was a peaceful uh, demonstration uh, uh, put together by the same organizer of the uh, event on the 7th of November. And uh, uh, again, there was no counter-protests uh, experienced. In fact, we talked to one individual uh, that was uh, sort of uh, uh, against the protest, and uh, we spoke to him, and uh, there was no issues. Uh, they they complied with uh, our requests, and uh, there was no issues. 
So did something happen at that earlier protest that led to the state of emergency being declared? Uh, again, it's just the, uh, the the community event itself and uh, the negativity that uh, it causes to the community and uh, the potential for uh, for violence uh, because of uh, counter demonstrations. Uh, people are uh, frustrated with uh, their activities and the fact that uh, they're not abiding by uh, regulations that are put in place by our government uh, to ensure everybody's safety. Uh, so as a precautionary measure, uh, she did take a look at that and uh, hence uh, felt that it was necessary to uh, declare that emergency. Um, and again, that is her decision. Uh, for the most part, how has the town responded to the protocols that have, have been asked of us? Are, are they pretty compliant? Majority of our people in our community are very compliant to the uh, current uh, uh, legislation. And certainly this uh, very small group, uh, we have been in consultation with them to try to comply. And, uh, I mean, this is counterproductive to the entire community. We are a small, close-knit community. And uh, certainly these types of activities and uh, the negative uh, media attention that has uh, been uh, generated as a result of their actions is uh, counterproductive. Is this local citizens or are these people coming from out of town? Uh, the event organizer is a local citizen. However, we have been receiving uh, information that uh, there are people from uh, outside the area who are participating uh, uh, with her. And when is this uh, scheduled to happen? It's scheduled to happen on Saturday at uh, 1.30 uh, uh, in Elmer. And are you preparing in any extra way for this? Well, absolutely. We have our uh, operational plan in place. Uh, we are looking uh, with our municipal agency partners uh, and the Ontario Provincial Police uh, in the event that uh, we need to respond uh, to any type of a situation that uh, does breach that uh, public uh, order and uh, maintenance of uh, peace, and uh, we'll be ready for anything that uh, occurs on Saturday. Uh, last question. Any idea how many will uh, show up for this? Um I have, uh, again, in consultation with the coordinator, she herself uh, is not aware of how many people are actually going to participate. Based on the last numbers, uh, there was approximately 150 participants on her behalf, and uh, we are expecting to have at least that many, if not more. Shvanko Horvat has been with us, Chief of Police for Elmer Police, and talking about uh, the mayor of Elmer had received uh, an alleged threat since announcing that uh, there would be a state of emergency uh, ahead of a uh, anti-mass protest that is coming this weekend. Shvanko, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Stay well. Good luck. No problem. Thank you very much, sir, and have a good afternoon. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. It was something we never dreamed of. You know, we were down in the basement in Hamilton. We like to play really loud. And, uh, we like to play a distorted sound. And it was the sound of chaos. Fantastic. was like Canada's Johnny Rod. Your identity is so wrapped up in the band, the group, the music you make. And then one day it's gone. Picture My Face, the story of Teenage Head, a TVO original. All right, uh, aired last night uh, on TVO twice. I caught it the second time because, you know, on my news head here, I got caught up in the uh, in, in the presidential election, and then, oh, my, I forgot about this. 
And then I flicked back over to TVO, and uh, Steve Hagen was interviewing the band. So I watched that, and then after they played it again. <laughs> so I actually recorded it. Uh, and if you haven't seen uh, the Teenage Head uh, documentary on TVO, it is available on their website uh, in their documentary section. Let's bring in Dave Ray, vocals for Teenage Head. He is with us now. Dave, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Oh, great to be here. Thank you for, for inviting me back. We talked about that uh, before the doc, right? Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to get your impression. I mean, I, I can't tell you, and, and I'm sure uh, everyone who watched it felt the same way. Uh, chills up the spine. What an incredible story. What an incredible memory for you guys to have now and have this documented uh, the way that it is. Uh, you know, I, I never realized when you were in the studio and we were conducting that interview before you went over and played uh, Westdale uh, that Gordy was having the issues that he was. And when yeah. I went back and watched it uh, yesterday, and saw the camera work and such, uh, you, you could see the struggles that he was having. So let's start off. With, how's he doing? How, how's he making? Uh, how's he making progress? And 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 how's he feeling today? Now that this is finally aired, you know, I think for Gord, like in all of us, uh, you know, we're all happy that it came out. I think we're happy that it was uh, that it was received so well, like very well, and people have just been giving us such a, a vote of confidence. Um, and I know that uh, when I talked to uh, our film there, man, Doug, he said when he brought it by to Gord to see the, the, you know, the, the different uh, stills, you know, Gord was happy that it was done well and done with respect. And, it, and I think that was the main thing. So I think he's very happy today, you know. Uh, that does it, he that realize? It, does he realize, Dave, that how important and courageous it was for him to do that, and how many other people's lives he may have influenced by telling that story as they share the same experience? Well, you know, Gord's always been—I uh, always say—that uh, uh, kind of guy. You know, uh, he was—you know—just to play the guitar the way he did back in the seventies. And they liked the music that he liked back then, you know, because not many people liked it at that time. So he's a brave fellow, honest to God. He's a hmm. he's a, he's that kind of guy, you know. He he's not afraid to stand in the face of 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 uh, of uh, adversity. Uh, and so I think that's just in his nature, anyways. But but I I don't know. Like I think when he was doing it, he was just trying to live and be be as honest as he can be. And uh, uh, I, I think maybe at a time you don't really think that you're going to be influencing people. Now, I think in retrospect, maybe we will say that, you know. Mm, nah, good for him. Uh, what yeah. has been the reaction? I mean, obviously, a lot of hype coming up to this, and then finally it airs. What's the feedback been like since this uh, has aired? What's that been, experience been like? It's incredible, you know, what's incredible. Like, I, everything from my own personal thing, from like, from like, a, like, a, like a niece in northern Ontario saying, I watched it, and wow, Uncle Dave, you know, I, it's amazing, you know, I've <laughs> never, you know, to, to, Fans who who grew up with the band and uh, you know and it was emotional and and uh, um, and and heart like you know like celebrate celebrating it that that the four of us you know including you know Frank and the other members who are around that we all support each other as as brothers you know so it's it's been amazing the the, the support's been amazing you know really really really. Um, you know, I got a message. I got a text example from Tom Wilson yesterday saying, you know, hmm. God, I can't wait for tonight to see it. You know, uh, it, it's just been great. Really amazing. 
It is. It is just a great piece of work. It is. It is. Uh, it is a great represent, uh, representation of the band and and of Hamilton. That's for sure. Um, what's it like? And I remember hearing uh, Gordy was on. I believe it was with Scott Radley and saying. Yeah. And he said it was cool for him to watch it uh, after always being on stage. When you're on stage, yeah. it's a different perspective than yeah. you know being in the audience and watching a movie or or, or watching the concert that way. Is, yeah. is there something you picked up from this that uh, man? I didn't realize that. Or, or what, what do you take from watching this? It, 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 you know what? I have to be honest with you. I picked, what I picked up was, is first of all, a, a, a having like being in, all, uh, in three different situations in that band, very, very unique vision. Because I, 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 in the beginning of the movie, when Frank was playing and the band was playing, I was in that audience watching and, right. and, and uh, at that time. But to see it now... Because I think I think you get friend blind. <laughs> yeah, because we've all known each other. Like I've known Frank since grade nine, so you don't really see how how great he is. He just oh, that's just Frank singing, being you know, you know, whatever. And now I see, oh my God, what a guy! He was nothing like anybody else. Look at look at how great Gordy is on guitar. Look at how good Steven, what a star! You know, yeah. you see it from that point of view is what everybody else would see it as opposed to a friend. And, or a guy who would come and play rhythm guitar on a record or sing background vocals, you know? And then, then the big, but then, and then for seeing it from actually the guy on stage at the end, and uh, I had to say that I was really moved because we're at, in, in the stadium playing Discustine and they brought it yeah. back to Frank and the, and the original band. And I had to say, it, it brought a tear to my eye because I just said, oh my God, you know, this is us, you know? This is our lives and, uh, and it's full circle. And it was beautiful. It was just—it was amazingly emotional, you know. It's impossible not to be moved by this story. Yeah. It, it really is. Uh, so, what about other musicians? You, you talked about Tom Wilson. What about other musicians, or even younger musicians? Yeah. What do they say to you about this? Well, it's interesting, you know, because see, I think a lot of people over the years have always, like, for example, like, um, like, uh, like, for example, like if you're in a younger band right now and you're twenty-something band, you might have only seen the band like say with me fronting or, or Frank at the end of, of it or another situation to actually see the whole history of the band. It, it, I think it encourages people to go, you know what? I, I want to do this. Like actually I got it. That was one of the texts I got uh, from some young guy going, Hey, I hope my, I hope you inspired me to, to play music. And I hope one day it'll, that what you guys got will happen for me too. So that was a nice experience because he saw it and it inspired him to go, yeah, I want to do this too. Uh, you know, so I've I've gotten that to a lot of different musicians uh, messaging saying this has inspired me. You know, to want to do it. What about moving forward? Yeah. What next? Well, if you see in the movie, you know, Gord's always had amazing riffs, and one of the reasons why Gene Champagne, our our, our drummer now, um, is in the band is because Gord, Gordon and and uh, Gene had this great relationship. And they work with Lou Molinero in a little band, yeah. And so Gene, Gene said, "Hey, Gord, do you have any riffs that we can, that you know, that uh, that you know, that you can play me?" And Gord said, "Yeah, I got a bunch." So we he went over to his house and started playing riffs. And then Gene called me up, said, "Hey, Gord's got some riffs. Do you want to help us maybe write some tunes together?" So we put a bunch of tunes and we brought Stevie in, and Steve. I listened to him and liked some of the good ones and put some bass on. So I think the next step is to see if, you know, those songs can turn into a record, uh, some new music for the band that's vital, as strong as the, the Frantic City and the first album in some kind of fun, you know, the, those glory years. Because 
Gordy's still a great guitar player. Great has some so many riffs. You know, he's like he's like Gordy, yeah. like like Keith Richards. Say eh? <laughs> he's the riff meister. He's mm. amazing little thing. So that's really the ultimate goal, and to continue to be able to perform once the this pandemic's over and we can bring it we can bring it to the world. Because um, to me, I think this is it's only sunshine ahead for this band. You know, we we uh, um, one of the comments I just to say that I got from. Um, online was, hey, too bad the damn pandemic came. These guys were on a roll. Yeah. Jeez, you know? Uh, and I said, well, that maybe the pandemic's good get us for off the heel. And now, and now, um, we, when, when it's done, we'll be all healthy and ready to rock. Mm. So is this, Doc, a reset button for you guys? Is this a benchmark? Is this a milestone? Obviously, it's a milestone, but I, is this a reset? I think it's both. I think it's a chance for us to look back with uh, as that that album said, through the past darkly, but through the past, look at the past and say, "Wow, that was worth it." You know what I mean? There's a great moment when you can say that. So the past reminds you where the future can be. So yeah, it was a chance to look back with 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 uh, not with anger, but with with with, uh, with glory now, and uh, and move forward to a, a brighter future. So I guess, uh, well, a reset. I guess you could call it a reset button, yeah. <laughs> so we can still find this, if, if you missed the documentary on TVO, we can still find this on their website, I understand. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And it's worth watching. It's a lot of fun. You know what, it's a unique, unique, it's a unique story in, 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 in Canadian music and in world music, because it's an international act, in a way. Because wherever I've gone, yeah. Scott, I've, you know, I've toured myself across the United States for 20 years in Europe. And everywhere I go, somebody would bring me a teenage head. I could, it's it's rare, you know, uh, that had a became band who never really officially, you know, only had a few official releases in the states and in Europe. Like the fact that it's, so, it's an international story. And boys, I'd love to get the boys over to Europe once we all feel this is all over. You Wouldn't know? that be something? Yeah. yeah. The last when you were the last time you guys were in, I forgot to bring an album in for you to sign. So oh, when okay. all that happens and we get back to normal, we're going to bring you guys in whenever that happens. And I want yeah. those albums signed. It'd be oh, great to have. It. You know, uh, I, think, I think it's Hamilton. Hamilton has a, is a unique city, and it brings a certain kind of music. And, and we, I think that's it. We you know we're, we're part of a great scene, and 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 Teenage Head actually led but also is part of a great music, great Hamilton music scene. Dave Rabe with us from Teenage Head. Of course, the documentary on TVO aired last night, Picture My Face. It is on their website now in the documentary section, or whenever this is all over, you can come over yeah. to my house. I've recorded it and watched it. Watch <laughs> it again. Right. We'll, bring, we'll bring the album, too. That's right, yeah. You, exactly. Dave, thanks so much. You should be very proud. Congratulations, and uh, my best to you and all the band. Well, I can just say on behalf of the band, um, we thank you for your support, Scott, and we thank that we'd like to thank everybody in Hamilton who watched it uh, and, and, and have given us such beautiful response. Thank you. You can find it on TVO's website right now. Picture my face, the story of Teenage Head. Dave Rave with us. Dave, take care uh, and all the best to you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.